Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. Now available on digital. Crowe portrays an ex-homicide detective unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall. Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery to watch Sleeping Dogs, now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Three, two, you ready, Dalton? Ready. One. Welcome to the Yahoo Fantasy Football call. <laughs> Three, two, <laughs> Keep it. Welcome to the Yahoo Fantasy Football Forecast. I am Liz Loza. I am joined by the one and only Triple D, Dalton Del Don. Dalton, let's check in real quick. I feel like it's been a minute. Have we seen each other? My life has been a little bit hectic, but I don't think you and I have um, potted together recently, have we? It has been a minute. It's boring summertime for me, but I hear you have a kindergarten graduation, mid-summer. No. You're still dealing with school issues? Preschool graduation. We oh, have a kindergartner. That makes more sense. Yeah. Okay. Gotcha. Yes. Gotcha. Preschool still, that's grad- a little weird time for that middle of the summer. I mean, I, Dalton, write a letter. I don't want to tell you. I just, I just showed <laughs> up. Okay. My five-year-old <laughs> walked in to the bedroom this morning, as she does every damn morning, to greet us and uh, told my husband that he was required to wear a suit and that she would like it if I please put on some makeup and some shoes where my pink toenails would show. So we obliged in the 98 degree heat. And it was lovely and very, very sweet. And um, I would not trade it for all of the world, even if I'm being sarcastic about it. I have to admit it was <laughs> awesome. Um, are you are you traveling at all this summer? Uh, I'm going to make a Las Vegas trip uh, sometime in July because I got to get some future bets, sign up for, you know, survivor contests and all that stuff. So, yeah, I will be I'll be traveling to, uh, to Vegas. Congrats. Congrats to Lenny, by the way. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Wait, Mason graduates from preschool, too, right? Isn't he going to kindergarten? Yeah, he did. He did. Yes. Yeah, that was uh, yeah early, last month. He did. Yeah. Did he make you wear like khakis and loafers? Yeah, I dressed up because I had heard from other, a, a friend of mine said, boy, you better take this seriously. I'm way underdressed here. People have all kinds of gifts. So I was warned by, by a buddy to take preschool graduation seriously. So we kind of did. Uh, it's nice to have a little ray of sunshine, something to smile about. The innocence of kids like always puts things into perspective and makes you feel pretty sweet and good. Um, but let's move on to football and fantasy football, which also generally makes you feel pretty sweet and good, at least if you're, you know, playing it with the right mindset. We're going to talk about training camp because we're just a few weeks away from the start of training camp. I want to talk about position battles. There are some interesting backfields in particular, obviously some pretty noteworthy quarterback competitions, receivers in some you know old faces in new places are also trying to establish themselves. So we're going to kind of discuss what we're both eyeing. But before we get to that, Dalton, you mentioned a trip to Las Vegas because you want to get some some futures down. I am interested to hear 
if you might be wagering it all on maybe the Minnesota Vikings to win the division, I will say that my husband actually was in Vegas last week. And when I told him to put some money on Minnesota to win the division, by the way, the Vikings are behind the Packers at plus 275 odds to win the division. When I told my husband to make that bet, he like balked. And I was like, no, no, no. Remember who the professional is, just do it. And then lo and behold, there's a report, many reports, in fact, out of Minnesota today, earlier this week, reporting that Kevin O'Connell, the team's new HC, uh, is going to make this offense very pass happy. There are beat writers who are already predicting Captain Kirk to be somewhere around, wait for it, 4,000 500 passing yards with around 40 passing touchdowns. That's basically what Matt Stafford did in 2021. Are you buying the hype? Are you making the bet? I am buying the Vikings hype and uh, Captain Kirk as well. Cousins had 35 and 33 touchdown passes the last two seasons. Last year, the Vikings ranked 20th in pass rate over expectation. Meanwhile, the Rams, where their new coach was at, they had 80% of their touchdowns last year came through the air. Uh, they play indoors, obviously Jefferson, a returning Thielen, and a returning Irv Smith. I actually have Cousins ranked ahead of Aaron Rodgers and Derek Carr. Uh, the NFC North division, you mentioned it, is wide open for the taking there with, with Green Bay losing, obviously, Devontae Adams. And I mean, I like the Lions as sneaky, but I think I think the Vikings should be the favorites there, which puts Cousins right as, as, as a long shot for me as, as an MVP uh, I see him at 45 to one, maybe even get him at 60 to one in some places. Ooh. So in Vegas, I will absolutely be looking at, at Kirk Cousins as possible long shot MVP. I mean, the, the team's going to win its division, I think. And indoors with those weapons and, and suddenly going from a run first to a pass first offense uh, could be uh, really profitable for, for Kirk Cousins. All of the pieces are there for them to do it, especially given the coaching change. I also, in doing my projections, Figured 560 pass attempts was a reasonable number for Kirk Cousins at 560 pass attempts and a YPA of 7.5, which he managed last year. You're already at 4,200 passing yards. It does not seem like a leap to get to 4,500. I love the affirmation, the confirmation that these beat reporters are giving us. And I totally agree. I think Kirk Cousins, like the narrative is one thing on him and that kind of depresses unfairly his fantasy value. He's a top 12 guy. If you could, I mean, to me, he is like one of those incredible sneaky super flex, especially in like the fishbowl, given the scoring situations there. He is one of those like nice value plays because people are just, you know, shrugging their shoulders and like out on him. Yeah, no one wants a 33-year-old who doesn't run. You know, you like that. He's a butt of jokes, but um, it really shrinks during prime time and whatnot. But I, I think he's a, a really value in fantasy football. Uh, and uh, yeah, if he's going outside 15 QBs, I think he's going to finish as a QB1 fantasy terms. He doesn't even have to make that big of a leap. As you said, efficiency-wise, YPA, he's already been really solid the last few years. And now with the huge coaching upgrade, uh, wheels up. Wheels up. Uh, Terry McLaurin, had, my season from a fantasy perspective might not be wheels up, though I do have him around that wide receiver 18 point. But it doesn't matter because he can now buy his own private jet. He has secured the bag three years for $71 million I'm not surprised to see Washington make this commitment. Do you, you know, foresee there's sometimes that argument that like, oh, someone got paid and now they're not really going to show up. I think that's like a false narrative or at least one that's very anecdotal and shouldn't have much bearing. But where would you put Terry McLaurin? And do you think this um, this financial commitment 
has affected anything for him. Scary Terry deserves that he's absolutely one of the best real life uh, receivers. Um, I personally have him ranked a bit lower than the consensus fantasy wise. It's not because of the contract. It's purely just because of he remains with a real highly shaky quarterback situation with Carson Wentz. Uh, so personally, Wentz is still I'm still the best quarterback he's ever had, except for that first quarter with Ryan Fitzpatrick. Yeah, McLaurin is totally fine, and he'll be. There's an argument for that. That's still the best quarterback that he has ever had. Um, I, sure, but I personally am rather more upside guys. The Marquise Brown, Rashad Bateman, even Gabriel Davis. I'm going after after those guys than than McLaurin tied tied with Wentz. But I get it. I get why he's ranked where he is. And like I said, in real life, he's absolutely deserved that contract. He's he's really really good. I'd, I'd love to see him in a little bit better real life situation though for fantasy terms. I understand that. Certainly last year. When Ryan Fitzpatrick went out, there was an underwhelming feeling surrounding um, his regular production, but he wasn't the only commander that really did not ROI for fantasy managers. Obviously, Antonio Gibson was a massive disappointment for fantasy managers, and now, you know, like, there's always those burnt takes. People once bitten, once twice shy, if you fool me once, all of those, like, little sayings that people love to throw out, but there does seem to be more substantiated information, more substantiated data leading us to perhaps be continuously cool on Antonio Gibson. The Athletics' Ben Standing writes that Brian Robinson, the rookie, could be an answer for Washington in goal line and short yardage situations. So are you fading Gibson? Before you answer, let me say I had been prior to this report giving him a little bit of the benefit of the doubt because I think we forget that he entered last season with the toe issue that we were fully aware of but all convinced ourselves wouldn't be an issue. And he did play through like a crack in his shin for the majority of the season. So we can't really affect, like assume awesome efficiency out of him. So is this Brian Robinson thing? Here's the thing. Here's what I think. Like if you're a Gibson truther, this Robinson thing is just a puff piece and it doesn't matter. And you're going to think about the fact that he wasn't healthy last season. If you're off of Gibson, then this is all of the evidence you need to be even further off of him. Yeah, fading would be a fair turn for me as far, when it comes to, to Gibson. Not only J.D. McKissick re-signing, takes him off, you know, outside of uh, off the field on passing downs, but now this coach talk of Robinson. And it would actually, it may be more than coach talk because Gibson did struggle with fumbles. So they're moving him yeah, at the goal fair. line area, you know, could make some sense. So I have him ranked as my RB22, which is about a few spots below ECR. But guys right below him, like A.J. Dillon, and I even have Rashad Penny around there. I have them about even, and they, they go rounds later. So tied to Carson Wentz at quarterback, off the field on passing downs, and now maybe off the field at, at the goal line, uh, Antonio Gibson has just a ton of red flags. Uh, no thanks for me. You know, last week when Frank and I talked about the mistakes that we had made, we talked about how sometimes we had to convince ourselves about players. I think we actually referenced Antonio Gibson. And right now I looked at my rankings and I looked at your rankings and I had him previous to this report at RB15. And I'm sitting here trying to justify why I have him there. And I think that if I'm going to do the actionable thing and follow the advice that I gave last week, I have to move him down because there's no point in me being right about this take when I'm seeing data and I'm trying to convince myself that I, that I, you know, won't be wrong. So um, I, I think you're right. I'm going to have to move him down. I would put him into that RB20 range, RB22. So ar around, 
around where you're talking about. Um, you did mention Rashad Penny. So let's talk about some of these position battles ahead of training camp. I want to start with the Seahawks. In fact, let's start with Penny. We're going to talk about the Seahawks um, quarterback position. But since you mentioned Penny, I know you were or you have been at least a couple of months ago, quite bullish on him versus Kenneth Walker. What's your take now? Has it changed at all? Or are you just waiting to gather more information? Yeah, so I looked at the ECR before we started recording, and they're literally ranked back-to-back in the expert uh, consensus ranking community. That's because we're all Uh, cowards, let's be honest. (laughs) I'm a little higher on Penny and a little lower on Walker. Penny was so, so good, arguably one of the two or three best uh, backs in real-life football in the final six weeks. Um, And Pete Carroll is just typically likes his his veterans, but the quarterback situation here will will definitely affect the running backs. Hopefully they can bring in uh, Baker Mayfield there because Geno Smith, man, that offense is uh, really could be a problem going from Russell Wilson uh, to him. But so I, I'm still uh, higher on Penny. He suffered like, uh, I think, a minor hamstring injury in OTAs. And, you know, the community went nuts because he's one of the most injury prone players uh, since he's entered the league. But um, I, I see like some real, real legit upside there. And the, and the fact he's getting treated, you know, not like that at all, really mid round still. So outside of 30 running backs going ahead of Rashad Penny right now. So I, I still am on the, the Penny side here, especially since his cost is, is slightly less. I think I'm, uh, he is someone that I'm avoiding. Again, not trying to talk myself into him just because of the injury situation. I think this backfield in total, honestly, is one that I'm just trying to avoid. It's not one I'm investing in. I also believe that at some point, Kenneth Walker will overtake or at least share enough of the pie to be fantasy relevant, um, whether it's because because Penny is injured or because there's an efficiency issue that you mentioned. But again, I don't want to stash this guy as a what if in a situation that isn't as optimal as it could be anyway. You mentioned the quarterback and you mentioned Geno Smith. You did not mention Drew Locke, which I think is interesting because after the blockbuster trade with the Broncos, we all sort of assumed that Drew Locke was being handed the starting job. And in fact, uh, per a report that was published uh, via USA Today on June 10th, Pete Carroll said that Geno Smith is, in fact, still ahead of Drew Locke. So which of these quarterbacks would you prefer? And is there a scenario where you feel like Locke could leapfrog Smith ahead of September? So both are gigantic downgrades from Russell Wilson, obviously. But from a fantasy perspective, Drew Locke is typically had been ranked a, a highest in aggressive percentage. So he attacks downfield. Feels like that'd be good news for better news uh, than Geno Smith for DK Metcalf. Here, here are some stats. DK Metcalf air yards per game with Russell Wilson 104 last year with Geno Smith 48. So cut more in half. And the, and the target share, it flipped. It went from Metcalf. Uh, 7% higher than, than Lockett to, to Lockett being the, the 5% higher than Metcalf when Geno Smith was quarterback. And yet Metcalf is being drafted, you know, rounds and rounds yeah. higher than Lockett. So the quarterback situation absolutely matters to all the ancillary uh, options on, on Seattle. And by the way, back to the running backs. You know, what if Chris Carson returns for the second half of the year? That would be just a total disaster if there's a three, three-way committee there. But, um, but yeah, and that so would be a Pete Carroll move. That would be a complete yeah. – he loves veteran, Chris Carson. Yes. So no. you're t- I agree with you, yeah. But this quarterback situation is one to pay attention to for for many reasons in Seattle. And, and don't rule out Baker Mayfield getting traded there. There's some smoke there, and it would make sense for for multiple parties. If he goes there, obviously not as good as Russell Wilson, but uh, I think a healthy Mayfield is way better fantasy news for the receivers and running backs for the Seahawks than if Geno Smith is starting week one. 
Yeah, he offers some stability in a rather like volatile situation as well. Let's talk about Atlanta. Cordero Patterson, one of the best stories of 2021, but he's 31 years old. He is in the backfield with now Damian Williams and the rookie out of BYU, Tyler Algier. You know, I think Scott Pianowski often talks quite intelligently about how these late age, late stage breakout players don't really repeat that performance um, after a certain point that is very anomalistic. Are you, is this, not to mention like Marcus Mariota and Desmond Ritter, if we're talking about quarterback competitions too, like there might, those are both mobile quarterbacks who are sure to poach at the goal line, vulture at the goal line from any of their running backs. Is this another backfield that you're basically avoiding or would you maybe take another shot on CPAT or Andy Barron's is rather high on Tyler Algier. Are you also interested in him as a, as a potential breakout piece? I don't have a strong take on this one, but definitely one to pay attention to. Patterson, you mentioned, 31 years old. I mean, running backs that are successful at that age are few and far in between. And we saw once he became you know, the full-time guy last year and teams expected he really wore down. Uh, I heard a draft Nick say that Damian Williams' workout metrics are far superior to Algier, but Algier is the beat writers say the rookie is clearly the number, the number two and two, Williams yeah. is Williams is battling for the roster spot. And I trust that more. So uh, it looks like the rookie back whom I, I don't, don't know much about at all. Admittedly, he looks like the upside guy to stash here in, in a backfield that's wide open and with some playmakers, you know, London and Kyle Pitts. So uh, if, if one were to emerge, it certainly could provide fantasy value. But right now, this is just one of those uh, offseason uh, position battles to pay attention to. Yeah, I don't know a ton about Algier. I just know that he is quite powerful. He's got impressive power and some, some nice balance. Um, but he's not, you know, he's not particularly fast. He doesn't have like that breakaway speed, that second gear. Um, and from what I watched, I I did feel like his pad level is a, a little bit in question. And obviously his pass blocking isn't the best as he's a rookie running back. So I'm wondering if rather than investing in Algier for fantasy managers, the answer to Algier is that he just takes more away from the other two options. And so it's less about which of these three guys and this now third piece makes the other two less valuable or intriguing in terms of options. and Ritter could be a lot of you know rookie quarterback learning the ropes too, which limits the total potential and upside for this year. But it's definitely a situation to monitor because it's absolutely wide open in Atlanta's backfield. Rashad White, this is a guy that you've mentioned on previous podcasts. Um, what are your thoughts with him joining Leonard Fournette, who I know you've been wildly high, by the way, even higher on now with no Gronk. I mean, he should catch a ton of balls. He's there. Keyshawn Vaughn, obviously there. I think Keyshawn Vaughn has largely underwhelmed since being drafted. But if we're looking for White, then, you know, this is a guy who has really good long speed and really good hands, could also be a receiving asset. So given the absence of Gronk and what I just said about Fournette likely to catch a lot of balls, do you think that maybe, in fact, that this would be an opportunity for White to carve out a role for himself? I think Fournette's going to be the guy, as long as he's healthy, did not look to be in shape in the, the OTAs. But assuming he gets back in shape yes, and stays healthy. MO, just, right, right. Tough, tough to get off the field. Brady trusts him. All those dump offs. I think Fournette just, 
I have him as a top 10 back just in that system, uh, locked and loaded. Keyshawn Vaughn is, is not it. Uh, White is getting a ton of hype. And I think he he has as much upside as pretty much any backup running. But you could rank him right there with Ramonda Stevenson's, uh, Alexander Madison's, Ronald Jones, Daryl Henderson's, Tony Pollard even. Because he could seemingly fill in that three-down role as Tom Brady's back if something were to happen with Fournette. So I, I'm buying the rookie hype. Uh, the, this, the beat writers have been relentless and been impressed with him. So I think he's the clear guy that would step into a three-down role in an offense led by Tom Brady. So I, I like White quite a bit. And is he someone that you would maybe take a late round flyer on and be comfortable stashing? Because if Leonard Fournette is, as you mentioned, not back to shape, and we know that that's kind of a recurring theme over his career. Now, again, not prior to, I'm sure Tom Brady, if he says, go do some pushups, you go and do them. But we know that it's, you know, something that Fournette has struggled with, constant conditioning. Would you draft White or is that like, someone you would rather wait and see and maybe spend a bunch of fab on if and when he the situation presents itself oh no come august i'll be drafting him with eight ninth tenth round and stashing him for sure Le- league winning upside type guy that's that's worth stashing even if you expect zero production until an injury strikes uh, absolutely the the market's been slow with him he's the 59th ranked running back now but it was much lower i have him as my 38th and uh, just thinking really quickly with Tampa Bay, uh, finally, ECR is climbing on Russell Gage, but he he has the upside to be a yeah. top 20 fantasy receiver as Godwin's out the first six weeks. And it, the, 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 just, it had been, he has been, had been too slow and too down on Gage, but finally, it seems like the rankers are, are catching up there. But yeah, absolutely. I'd stash the rookie white on, on Tampa Bay. I'd love to on every fantasy team. Awesome. Uh, let's move to San Francisco, your team. All right, we got six running backs. This is the Shanahanigans. Uh, Eli Mitchell, Jeff Wilson, who I know previously you'd been high on. Um, durability issues, obviously, something he struggled with. We've got Davis Price, a rookie. Trey Sermon still hanging out. Who knows if he's going to make the team? Obviously, Jermichael Hasty and Jordan Mason there as well. Are you – now, this is a backfield where I love people like, oh, it's too many, too many mouths to feed. I don't want to deal with it. But when you also have a system that is so – friendly to the position, it's hard not to want to invest in one of them. I'm going to assume that you believe Eli Mitchell is the front runner, but is there anyone behind him that you're willing to take a flyer similarly to the way that you're interested in investing in white? So even though Kyle Shanahan has had a different leading rusher every year, he's been head coach of the 49ers. Elijah Mitchell enters as the clear number one. He, he trusts him. He's, he's definitely the guy as long as his health uh, allows, but he had durability issues last year. So this is just a situation to pay attention to. I don't, there's not a lot of insight here other than Davis Price was unexpectedly drafted higher than, than many draft Knicks uh, thought he would. But um, the team's, and it was also a concession that Debo Samuel will not play running back as much. Trey Sermon was a gigantic bust. Uh, Jeff Wilson will end up being uh, fabbed by uh, multiple teams midseason one way or the other, it seems like. But the situation, whoever is back up behind Mitchell in that system, and now with Trey Lance at quarterback, um, there's a lot of upsides. So uh, this is just definitely one to pay attention to. Without any clear leaders now, also, Davis Price, they used the draft capital, and there was some hype, but then he immediately dropped a ball in the first OTAs and was behind other guys like Hasty. So 
this is one that's definitely up in the air. I remember last year, there wasn't much information. Everyone was drafting Sermon higher than Mitchell. So there's no, there's no, I don't, not a lot of hope that we'll even have clarity come August, but hopefully it's different this year than last because the, the running back, anyone getting carries in Shanahan's system, and now with a mobile quarterback who typically adds a half a yard per carry to, you know, historically, um, yeah, it could be a, a lot of fantasy upside. I think Davison Price, this situation is interesting to me because, again, last week when I was on with Frank, we we talked about how I stuck my heels in on Trey Sermon. And in the back of my mind, I was like, well, it doesn't feel like a Shanahan-esque running back. You know, like this isn't but, – but, but this offense maybe needs it or this is an element that is perhaps missing from the backfield. And then he ended up, as we all know, to be a gigantic bust. And I look at Ty Davis-Price and – they're very similar. You know, they're both six feet tall. Price is, in fact, I think five pounds heavier. They have similar similar running styles. Like, like Price is really big. He's tough to bring down. He has nice balance. And he's more of that, like, hammer, has that hammer element, which would complement Mitchell. But I feel like I'm stuck in this, like, well... Was Sermon just so bad, or are you really trying to find a complementary piece for this backfield? I am intrigued because of Davis Price's skill set, um, and because I do think he'd be a good complement. But again, I think you're right. You kind of have to wait and see instead of just uh, people are just scared off because of Sermon's complete, I don't know, like invisibility last year. Running backs absolutely can improve like any other position from year one to year two. We have seen it. Um, and, and Sermon has a draft capital. So if he's probably free in most most drafts, so fantasy drafts, that is, at this point. So he's he's another fine last year's bum that, that yeah, absolutely could could emerge as the guy right behind Mitchell very, very easily. And um, I mean, he had some 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 big games in, in college, too. And, that, and so, uh, yeah, Sermon's a name to to definitely not totally forget. But Davis Price is likely because of the recency effect, probably the guy the 49ers backup running back that's going to be drafted highest. Yeah. And that's the guy that I'm intrigued on because I do think he would be I, I think we can move on from Sermon, but I think that Davis Price has that skill set that would be a really nice compliment and be interested in to see Shanahan actually make good on that, though. You know, like I want to see him implement that piece that some might argue. I mean, Jeff Wilson has been that guy, but like in a real way, implement that piece into a consistent regular part of his of his offense in his game. It's bizarre how much, how many draft picks he's taken on the position though, when you can yeah. put in, you know, the Alfred Morris's of the world and they've had success, but he's, he's totally, that's it's, a great a point. In philosophy. That's an yeah. excellent point. Um, all right, let's move on to new Orleans. Uh, Mike Florio reported that there's an expectation or the saints are bracing for a six week suspension for Alvin Kamara. That obviously elevates Mark Ingram again, who we've seen in that role in that uniform, uh, do quite well. I also think I'm going a little bit off script here, but if that suspension were to come down and affect the 22 season, I am becoming more and more intrigued by Chris Olave. We know that Kamara is a pass catching option. Michael Thomas is still a giant question mark. Uh, he missed OTAs, wasn't quite ready for those. Jarvis Landry is great, but he's a little bit older. Um, obviously, would filled the slot role. And Olave is one of the smoothest, crispest route runners, probably the smoothest, crispest, most technically polished route runner in this year's class. He might actually, if Kamara's not there, have a massive opportunity 
and be supported by a quarterback that we know feeds his pass catchers. We've, we've seen rookie receivers go nuts uh, recently, and absolutely Alave could be the guy this year. Michael Thomas, the recent footage, jumping up on boxes. He did not look ready to return to full workout. A Camara could be out six weeks. Winston was shockingly competent last year before the injury, playing indoors. I mean, look at the, the competition for targets. Is Landry joining a new organization? He's on the wrong side of 30. So, yeah, I, I like Alave as a, a sleeper for sure. Uh, and Camara, the backfield there, I mean, Mark Ingram is 32 years years old uh no one's even talking about tony jones but i believe he's basically the next in line there so uh definitely an interesting situation to pay attention to there is the backfield because camara uh very easily uh news could break at any moment that he's suspended you know six weeks yeah and that rejiggers the entire you know first round round and a half of fantasy drafts and affects the rest of the higher tier tier one and tier two fantasy players at the position but again i I, i'm glad that you are with me on Olave. I think he might be the sleeper surprise. Like he might be the guy that a lot of people I think are probably assuming it'll be Drake London because we love touchdowns and that's what London has done so well. But I'm going to say now that Olave, if I'm going to be proactive again, to borrow a phrase from Scott Pianowski about any of these rookie wide receivers, it's Olave for me. I moved him ahead of Traylon Burks. Pers- yeah, oh, so sure. I, I, I like the call above London even. I mean, that's a, a more bold, but I, I could easily see it for sure. Better quarterback. I mean, yeah, better quarterback. I, I agree. I mean, I think the quarterback is is also one that we kind of forget about. And you mentioned how good he was uh, ahead of, it's the LASIK surgery. Let's, we know it. He doesn't need the glasses <laughs> anymore. Um, let's quickly run through Arizona, Cincinnati, and the Chargers. You know, Benjamin is getting some hype. James Conner, obviously a prime candidate for regression. Just monitoring it, right? No, no, for me, no deep thoughts. Nothing I want to like adhere in amber or carbonite right now. Couple things. I, the more I think of James Conner, just feels like the wrong year to to draft him. Uh, you know, the injury history. His targets actually didn't pick up last year until Kyler Murray's sprained ankle. Um, and looking a little deeper, Daryl Williams ranked last among forty backs in rush yards over expectation that qualified last year. I'm kind of buying the, you know, Benjamin hype. I've liked him since he entered the league. So he's one of my uh, favorite flyers you can get at the very, very end of drafts is, is, is Benjamin. Uh, so, so I kind of, kind of have my perked up ears hearing this, uh, this, this hype coming from the, from Arizona this summer. So you like him ahead of Williams then? Yeah, well, he definitely won't cost that. But um, uh, yeah, I do. The younger guy, more upside, uh, more interesting at this stage. And looking at Williams, I know Williams will probably end up just being on a lot of passing downs and frustrating everyone in this situation. But but yeah, I think I think Benjamin a little bit more upside at this stage. And I'm going to buy into the hype and maybe it's just total fluff. But um, but this is one that actually is perking my interest. Joe Mixon posted top three fantasy numbers last year. A lot of people have been out on him because he never seemed to like, uh just bust through and stay healthy like they wanted him to. What do you know? You get him two field stretchers and an awesome quarterback. The boxes aren't nearly as stacked and he is wildly productive, therefore making the running back behind him pretty valuable. Again, given his durability issues, it had been previously Samaje Pirine. I'm not going to make the joke that people like to make about Samaje Pirine in one of the biggest moments of potentially his career. Perhaps because of that moment, Chris Evans is now getting the hype, the uh, the backup hype. Um, again, for me, just something to monitor. I don't really like outside of like White or Madison that we talked about investing in a lot of these backups because 
we never know because it feels like we think it's going to be, uh, this is what Matt Harmon always talks about, right? Like we think it's going to be Niall Davis and it ends up being Charkandrick West. Like we, we're not in this locker room. So something to keep an eye on, but are you even really interested in Joe Mixon's backup right now? So I am buying that, that Evans is a little more interesting to me than P Ryan. Again, the sure. younger guy, fresher legs and all that, and especially in, in, in PPR. But my my main takeaway here is I actually do have semi of a hot hotter take here is that it just sounds like Mixon is going to be limited on passing down work. I think he was only on the field eight twenty percent or something on third downs last year, and it, it's clear that Cincinnati has that same plan. Don't get me wrong, the touchdowns will be there, and and Mixon is a rock solid pick, however high you want to take him. But personally, because of this news, I ranked DeAndre Swift. Barkley, I'm not going to hate that, and Aaron Jones. I would rather all three of those guys than Joe Mixon because of the the passing down roles they have compared to to, to Mixon. So that that is that would be my takeaway from the 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 Bengals backfield situation. That is a hotter take. So your your summation of the news or the way you're analyzing the news is not like oh go invest in Chris Evans, but oh I'm going to downgrade Mixon because Evans will be a larger part of this offense than. Joe Mixon supporters and truthers are anticipating. Yeah, I think if he stays off the field again on third downs, which is clearly the plan, that just limits his upside. It makes him, you know, Nick Chubb in a in a better offense, which is fine, totally, totally good. But I'm just saying the upside of the guys who who get the catches, especially if you play PPR, is just simply higher. I mean, it's just it's not no, by any fault of him. It just sounds like they're stubbornly going to stick with him uh, coming off the field on those passing downs. Mm. Uh, that is interesting. By the way, um, I did some research, and I I might be I'm not ranking Barkley ahead of Mixon, but I've come around on Barkley. I wrote an article about it too uh, for the website, but I do think there is something to be said for not just because of the metrics on the field, but his contract situation and the new regime. I think he's going to, I think he's going to touch the ball like 20 times a game. And so again, volume, talent, I'm not quite sure how Mm. effective what what how how productive that ecosystem is going to be but it certainly is positioned to be in a more efficient place than it was last year given the coaching change and you know all of the other additions with, with, with day ball there he's a whole nother year removed from the acl surgery yet his adp is is worse and last year that fluke where they were running in ran into his ankle they sprained his ankle on that fluke fluke play when the play was over and that just production just tanked right afterwards. So I am back in on Barkley, but I can understand people like Pienowski who basically written him off. Oh, the cheese is bad. Board the cheese because, bad. The because bad, he's right. been super injury prone lately. Like, I totally, I totally understand that, that thought process as well too, well, but I, I'm back to, in and ranking him aggressively. They have moved around the offensive line some. And I think the other thing we forget is that like, there were so many wide receivers continuously injured. Sterling Shepard, Kenny Galladay, Kadarius, Tony, so many injuries to the receiving core that again, like volume is great, but volume and uh, a ton of volume can offset efficiency. So like Barkley couldn't be efficient because he couldn't, he's like, he's got to get into space. There are just too many too. It was too easy to focus on him. And he's not a power rusher. That's never been where he was able to shine. So I'm with you. I think he's an intriguing value for people who have pretty high tolerance and don't mind, you know, a potential injury popping up, but anyone at this position is in that position. So I, you know, I, I I'm, I'm with you, but I'm still, let me actually, I'm going to look and see where I have him. I'm being a little long winded. All right. I moved him up to RB 14 just for listener context. You have him at RB seven 
I am the second highest on him of Yahoo consensus. Everyone else has him at RB17. I'm at 14. You're at seven. So that's where we're at. Uh, let's let's yeah. move on to why. One thing I'll just say when comparing injury risk, real quickly, is when comparing injury risk, don't forget that everyone, every running back has a high injury risk yeah. as well. Yes, his may be higher, but you're not comparing him to a zero or even a 40%. I mean, every of these lead backs come with, with durability concerns. But um, again, I can certainly appreciate someone just saying, ah, it's been too frequent and uh, enough of the excuses, but uh, I'm back in. Yeah, well, I, I think also in, for fantasy strategy, though, like you've got to you can't just have the burnt takes. You can't just do assume that what happened last year is going to happen again. You have to find value. You have to speculate, as the stock bros say. Um, and Kansas City is speculating quite a, quite a lot now that um, Tyreek Hill is no longer the number one wideout at Arrowhead. We've got Juju Smith-Schuster, MVS, Sky Moore, the rookie, McCole Hardman, who has never really been what I think he was drafted. I think also, you know, when he was drafted, there were questions about Hill's availability. And so they found the speedster, but he's never really been able to turn the engine over and evolve his skill set. So in terms of position battles, I am interested to see what the snaps might look like. I'm anticipating that Juju on a one-year deal will be the number two in terms of targets behind Travis Kelsey. But I, mean, I think we're assuming MBS is after that and maybe Sky, but whatever. behind Juju, do you have any like thoughts? Are you hoping for more clarity? Yeah, I agree. Juju seems the safest. Clearly in PPR should run the slot the, the most, but uh, yeah, very, very interesting beyond that. Sky Moore is being drafted aggressively, uh, for a rookie, um, MVS, he couldn't do it with Rodgers, but there was just a lot of improvement he showed last year. I think ultimately it's just going to be uh, Tyreek Hill being replaced by a committee. And even Josh Gordon uh, could could become involved here. So, yeah, this is definitely just one of these to pay attention to. If Nicole Hardman suddenly is running the whole route tree and looks like the light bulb's gone on, yeah, a lot of fantasy upside with uh, Patrick Mahomes throwing the football with no Tyreek Hill and, and Kelsey another year older. But um, as of now, I, I agree with your assessment that Juju's the safest and then it's a total wait and see and who knows approach afterward outside of Travis Kelsey too when you've got MBS and Sky Moore McCole Hardman is not a slot guy but he's a smaller guy Sky Moore is a smaller guy MBS is you know definitely a slot option as well Juju's a slot option I, there just doesn't seem to be a clear cut and not that Tyreek Hill was a big guy so I understand what I'm talking like I, I get that there's a difference here but there just doesn't seem to be like a outside of the tight end right a big, obvious X presence. Yeah, they. I believe that the Chiefs scored the most per drive last year. So there's obviously so much upside, but uh, it's just going to be frustrating for fantasy managers because McKinnon is joining the backfield now too. So it's just going to be a, a lot right. of Mahomes spreading it around. I mean, especially if Kelsey suddenly, you know, shows a little bit more age. So yeah, that's going to be it's going to be frustrating for fantasy managers watching the Chiefs put up 30 plus points a game, but being unpredictable and you know, you know, just spreading around the pie so much. That's what I see happening almost like Andy Reid doesn't care about your fantasy team uh in Dallas Michael Gallup is still recovering it's not expected that he will start the season week one we do have Jalen Tolbert the speedster rookie and James Washington then becoming interesting ultimately competing for the number three position but potentially having a larger role until Gallup comes back at the top of the season yeah, you said it. I mean, I don't have a take here other than just pay attention to this one. Could be very, very useful in fantasy leagues over the first month before or, or six weeks or whenever until Gallup, uh, you know, returns and, and gets back to full speed. Whoever gets a uh, number two there uh, absolutely could benefit. 
Jamison Crowder and Isaiah McKenzie both uh, playing the slot role in Buffalo. Obviously, it's an offense you want to attach yourself to. Jamison Crowder has not been terrible. He's just been boring, and we've seen him. McKenzie did flash down the stretch quite a bit last year, so he seems to be the intriguing upside play. I'm imagining between these two, that's where you're going to invest because you like the higher upside ceiling type players. Yeah, I'll take either, actually, or both here in PPR. Cole Beasley had 80-plus catches each of the past two seasons. Last year, he was playing on one leg for the majority of it. He's gone, so pass-happy offense, Bills, uh, whomever wins this slot role, and, you know, ideally for fantasy managers, one of them wins or the other, you know, goes away one way or the other. But, um, yeah, I, I don't have a feel. You're right. McKenzie, younger, more upside. But Crowder, a very, very solid player, too, So uh, and underrated. Neither are costing much at all in fantasy drafts so far, but Crowder versus McKenzie is an under-the-radar Whoever wins that battle, if there's a clear winner, will be very, very useful in PPR fantasy. I think that's one I want to monitor. Like some that that um, battle, if we're going to call it that, is one that I think is not being talked about as much. Everyone's talking about Gabriel Davis, or you know, they, they're arguing over whether or not Gabe Davis is like a hipster pick or not a worthy pick. And meanwhile, I especially in full point PPR agree that this is one to monitor and sneakily invest in because it seems to be off a lot of people's radars. Yeah, there's 100-plus targets uh, missing from Beasley. I mean, Emmanuel Sanders is missing for Gabe Davis to replace, but that slot rolled wide open. So, yeah, Crowder-McKenzie winner uh, will be a must-start in PPR leagues. You know, it wouldn't be a summer podcast, an off-season building to the regular season summer podcast, to be more specific, without mentioning Paris Campbell. He's back again and potentially competing with Alec Pierce, uh, who is a very different player. Like Pierce is 6'3", 211, Cincinnati Bearcat. Um, he and, Avi, and and Desmond Ritter had a lot of great moments at the Combine together. Not at all the same player, but in terms of role and volume, I'm going to say that I am I am bullish on Pierce. I really like his skill set. I, I think he's got awesome body control. He's really good in contested situations. He's not – he's like a physical – Presence similarly to Michael Pittman, you know, like a like a sturdier guy. His routes are not that great, and he did have some drops over the middle uh, while he was in college. But I, I would take of these two, Pierce. However, recognize that Campbell, if we're looking at this from a one of these things is not like the other standpoint, would be intriguing were he to ever stay healthy. So I hope you're right about Pierce. I just grabbed him in a Fantasy Pros Dynasty League I am in, but I'm buying the Campbell hype for this year. Um, Let's put it this way. Let's put it this way. I have him ranked as my wide receiver 51. His ECR is wide receiver 82. So apparently I like him more than the uh, consensus. Uh, Matt Ryan has been the most uh, optimistic, hyped player, it feels like, this offseason so far for the veteran. It's wild. Maybe just in comparison to Carson Wentz, he just looks so good. But everything coming out of the uh, Colts is that they're just super happy with the quarterback position with Matt Ryan. And uh, Campbell uh, has been getting all the, ca- the catches underneath. Obviously, I love, love Pittman. Um, I think the high guy on him as well in the industry. But Paris Campbell out of the slot or deep, if he can somehow stay healthy in, in this environment, yeah, I'm, 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 I'm a sucker here. Some of this preseason season hype I, I, I fall for and sure I'll, I'll fall for Paris Campbell looking great right now uh, and buying it sure well I mean I mean in your defense like I'm a little bit worried about his ability to stay healthy 
right? I think that to me is well, the yeah, biggest yeah. knock on him. He is per the athletic, like June 20th, I want to say there was a report about um, Campbell running with the ones and being featured extensively. And there are mouths to feed, right? Like T.Y. Hilton's not there. Zach Pascal is in Philadelphia now. There are there are real targets to be had. And I agree if you look at the if you look at Matt Ryan, like from an accuracy standpoint, he is an upgrade on Carson Wentz. It's part of the argument for why Michael Pittman should be a top 14, top 12 option, right? So someone has to catch those balls. Again, I think the thing we're monitoring, is it going to be Pierce? Is it going to be Campbell? Or what I think is probably most likely, frankly, is that Campbell will start the season, inevitably get hurt, and then Pierce will probably be, you know, week seven waiver wire by and kind of blow up and carry fantasy managers and much of the offense throughout the rest of the year. And Jack Doyle's gone there too. So some yeah. open some targets there. So the 40 yard dash for Campbell, speed score and burst score, 99th percentile, 98th percentile, 97th percentile. So this is an athlete. If you ever can stay healthy, I, I do like the upside there. And looking at his age, he's still only 24 years old. This actually reminded me of another argument for my guy Barkley. Do you know he's only one year older than Najee Harris, Saquon Barkley? Sorry for the sorry for the non sequitur, but just thinking of ages made me uh, made me think of that. But yeah, Paris Campbell, I'm totally buying. Call me the sucker if he gets injured right away again because I'm buying this preseason hype. I, don't th- I think what I, what I am noticing in all of these conversations is that you are very, to quote our good friend Bob Harris, injury agnostic. Right. Like there's you're you're high on Penny because you saw him do it. You're high on Campbell because he has the metrics and the skill. And again, he's a great complement to the rest of the offense. It's not more of the same. And you're high on uh, who is the other guy? Uh, Dondre Dondre Swift, Dondre Swift and and Barkley super high. So, yeah, guilty is charged on this. You know, like and and that. Yeah, yeah. I think what's important for our listeners to understand instead of being like, oh, that's a stupid take or burnt takes or whatever, like. Now we know we, we know who Dalton is, and through this prism and perspective, when we digest and absorb your content, we know that this is a guy who's injury agnostic. And I, I, by the way, think that that is a smarter, freer way of playing this game. I am just not brave enough, frankly, to always do it. So kudos to you for being able to do the thing that we should all be free of, right? Like I probably get way up and way in my head too much. And I'm like, well, yeah, yeah. And so I think kudos, like you're, you're, you're just analyzing without a bias and that without like an emotional attachment. And that's, I, I, that is a gift, frankly. It's totally fair, but I would just say also, though, uh, in defense of the counter, that I play a lot of leagues, and some are, some have an overall aspect. If you're just playing one or two home leagues, you you want to play more for the floor and maybe safer. I'm out there doing you know playing multiple leagues, so I'm just a little bit more loose with my uh, downside. So so there's something to consider with that. But but I also rank that way, and sometimes it suffers, you know, in in the grading system just because I'm so different than consensus, and also just um yeah aggressive for sure. I I rank to to try to win the league, certainly not finish you know fourth or something. Win win or finish last rather than finish fourth. Yeah, I the guess, worst thing in the world is to finish like sixth. Nobody wants to finish yeah. sixth. Yeah, totally, totally. But I mean, obviously, some years it's 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 brutal and yeah, and injuries. It, it, I, I'm not even going to argue that it's not a skill or whatever. And it's it's. I mean, you know, sometimes it you get burned. I mean, yeah, absolutely. Would you argue happen. drafting the way you do? I think this is interesting. Drafting the way you do requires more in season management than maybe picking high floor players and knowing that if you hit, 
you probably won't have to do as much jiggering on the waiver wire. Yeah, that's totally fair. And it's funny, just thinking about this, I remember uh, one of my biggest mistakes ranking last year was burying your guy, Eckler, uh, right before the season because he suffered a hamstring injury right before the year. And I thought I was being safe with the uh, injuries. Ah. And then he, you know, he battled it back there. But yes, uh, that is also very fair that, yeah, if you draft the more injury prone guys, you're going to want, you're going to inevitably uh, be likely be more, more active on that waiver wire than, than you go after the floor guys. These are all actionable points. This, it is, you know, the last week of June, one week ahead of the 4th of July holiday. So I really enjoyed the conversation. I think there should be more of this kind of like discussion. I learned from you. I hope that, you know, we're able to, your Barkley take made me do, made me go back and think and, you know, inspired a, a big portion of the article I wrote a couple of weeks ago about the biggest pressing questions in the NFC East. So thank you for that. And I think, I think that's going to do it for us. Like there's some camp battles. You should keep eyes on them. We're going to talk more about them. Maybe we'll even get some beat reporters on the show on the pod in August to give their uh, personal views. So we're not playing a little bit of telephone. And until further notice, you know, we're done with this one. You can follow me on Twitter at Liz Loza underscore FF. You can follow Dalton at Dalton Del Don. While you're there, make sure you're following Yahoo Fantasy. Dalton will be back next week with the oft-referenced Scott Pianowski. Until then, we're out.